0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm going to take up in this audio Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, which covers the annunciation by the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary of the birth of Jesus. We start in verse 26 and read through 27. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the sixth month that Luke speaks of here is the sixth month since Elizabeth's conception of John the Baptist, which is mentioned just two verses earlier. Six months after John the Baptist was conceived, Gabriel heads up north to Nazareth to speak to Mary about her conception which is going to be even greater than Elizabeth's conception. Now, Nazareth was 70 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a city known that was known back then for its corruption and low morals. I've been there recently, and I tell you, it doesn't look like it's changed much. It's kind of a dumpy little town. Now, Gabriel goes up to Mary, and she is described as a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, this... The marriage customs of ancient Israel have caused a lot of confusion because in one place it says that Mary is Joseph's husband, but on the other hand she was a virgin, and and how can this be, and all that. Well, it's very simple. There were three stages to a Jewish wedding. At that at that time there was the engagement, which was the formal agreement, a formal agreement made by the fathers. The groom's parents paid a bride price to the bride's parents, and there was agreement for them to get married. Now, I've heard some people say a lot of times this happened without the bride's consent. On the other hand, I've heard people say that no father would do that without getting his daughter's consent. And I tend to agree with the latter opinion. But at any rate, the engagement is done. And then after that, there's a betrothal. It's an actual ceremony where mutual promises are made to live, uh, to uh, be married. And then there's a time period, usually a year goes by, before the marriage is actually, the marriage ceremony is Undertaken and the marriage is sexually consummated. So that means for a year or so, the the it's kind of like a testing period to test their faithfulness to each other. They while they were betrothed, they were not allowed to have sex with each other, but they were considered married and would take divorce legal divorce proceedings to separate them. So they're kind of it's kind of like a platonic marriage they are during that betrothal period. So that's where Joseph and Mary were. They were in that betrothal period. She was still a virgin although she was technically betrothed, slash, married, however you want to call it, to Joseph. And, of course, it's important that she is a virgin because that virginity explains how Jesus could be born into the human race by God, the Father, by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus' father rather than Joseph. We read in Matthew 1, verses 18-19 through that, a scripture which shows that Mary could be considered Joseph's wife at this time, even though she was not had not consummated the marriage sexually. Matthew one, eighteen through nineteen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, in other words before they had sexual relations. Before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. Notice there that Matthew calls Joseph Mary's husband, which means she was his wife, even though this was, quote, before they came together, before they had sex. This is in verse 18. We go to verse 28-33 in Luke chapter 1. And the angel, that's Gabriel, came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. This is Hail Mary, full of grace. Highly favored KGV has it. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now when this verse says in verse 28, Matthew uh, Luke chapter one, that Mary is highly favored, Gabriel calls her highly favored, that means that Mary was full of received grace. She received a lot of grace. She was not full of grace so, so that she could bestow grace. This is what I would consider Catholic territory here. They love this passage here Hail Mary, full of grace. You know, Hail Mary, that, that's even gotten into our culture of you're down by five points, you're about 80 yards from the goal line, there's five seconds left on the clock, and you're out of time. And the quarterback goes back and throws the ball high up in there and prays Hail Mary. In other words, I am in a world of trouble here. Hopefully the ball will bounce around and land in my receiver's hands, and every now and then it does. Hail Mary. Pray to Mary when we're in trouble. That is nonsense. We pray to Jesus when we're in trouble. However, that doesn't mean that the Virgin Mary was not a remarkable woman. She was. She was a kindly, sweet, gentle, godly, pious country woman. There's no question about it. She was very humble. The fact that she was troubled when this angel came, trying to figure out why the angel is calling her highly favored. She's a peasant woman. She's thinking, what, who am I to be getting a visit from an angel? According to Guzik, the dispensationalist commentator, Guzik says that Mary knew Gabriel. That Gabriel was referring to Isaiah 7.14, which says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, I don't know how well Mary knew the Bible. It seems that a lot of commentaries always assume that all the Jews knew the Bible as well as the rabbis did. Mary's a simple country woman. I don't know if she knew that. But even if she didn't realize that she was fulfilling Isaiah 7.14, the virgin birth prophecy, even if she didn't realize it, she had good reason to be troubled because she just saw an angel. How many times do you see an angel? So that's why she was troubled people always fear or trouble when they see an angel because it was a supernatural occurrence we didn't think that people saw angels all the time back then no they didn't it was a rare event now gabriel tells mary you're going to call this boy's name jesus this is a common name but it was important because jesus means the savior It's like joshua in hebrew in, in hebrews joshua jesus savior because he's going to save because he's going to save the world from its sins all those individuals in the world who believed in him would be saved from their sins and Gabriel says, The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. This shows that Jesus is of the uh, descendant from David of the tribe of Judah, therefore he's the lion of Judah, and this of course is referring to the famous Messianic prophecy which I'm going to quote here, Second Samuel seven, twelve through sixteen. This is when Nathan the prophet's prophesying to David. Let me read it to you, verse twelve, second Samuel seven. And when thy days referring to David, when your days. Days, David, be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, a descendant after David, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. This is King James. I, I didn't have a modern translation on the particular software I was using at the time, and because I'm a cheapskate, I didn't buy one. The King James was free, and so I used it. I'll have to translate it as I go by here. This seed which shall proceed out of thy bowels. In other words, it's going to be, the seed is going to be a descendant of you. I will establish his kingdom. So your descendant is going to establish a kingdom. Of course, Jesus is David's descendant. Verse 13 in Second Samuel 7. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the house for David's name, of course, is, is the church, as it, as it turns out. 14. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now here, it, the passage drops back to the typical historical situation because David says, Nathan tells David, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Well, obviously, Jesus did not commit iniquity. This is talking about the other descendants of David in the line as it goes down to Jesus. Verse 15, But my mercy shall not depart, depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Before thee, thy throne shall be established forever. So there, God, through Nathan, promises David a throne that will last forever. And Gabriel puts it this way in verse 33 in Luke chapter 1. His kingdom, of his kingdom there shall be no end. And of course, that refers to Jesus and his church. The church is here forever. I don't care how many antichrist, secular progressives, rant and rail about Jesus and his kingdom and Christians, I don't care how many times they do that, it ain't going to do any good because Jesus' kingdom is going to be here forever. And I don't care how bad the church screws up and has to be chastened. I don't care how many times the candlestick is taken from a particular church or a particular nation's church. I don't care how many times that happens. Every time there's a weakness in the body of Christ, God will compensate for it with a strength somewhere else, and the church will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it's not going to peter at it then like the dispensationalist, futurist, pessimillennials like to say the church is going to keep going because of this kingdom there shall be no end. And that kingdom starts right now in the church, and it will continue on into the final state not talking about the millennial kingdom. It's talking about the church now. Excuse that little bit of theology. Gabriel says that the seed of this virgin, this baby that's going to be born of the virgin Mary shall receive the throne of his father David. The throne of David. He's going to be the son of David. And we know that the Jews constantly call the Messiah the son of David. Well, here it starts right here. Now, here, Mary might have known that since the Jews knew that Messiah was coming from the throne of David, and then when Gabriel tells Mary that his his baby is going to inherit the throne of his father David, that's probably Mary doesn't have to be a rabbinic scholar to know that that is a promise of messiahship. She was just told she's going to have the Messiah, the son of David, which was a common messianic term that the Jews used for Jesus Now notice. Gabriel says he shall reign over the house of Jacob, that's the house of Israel, same thing as the house of Israel. Jacob's another name for Israel. The house of Israel, well that doesn't mean that Israel's gonna be here forever. Israel has not been here forever. Back when Jesus came, Israel was destroyed in eighty seventy. House of Jacob, that's typical for the church. House of Jacob is the old Israel, the church is the new Israel, and that's the kingdom that shall be that shall last forever. The house of Jacob is the Old Testament kingdom of God, so Jesus is the Messiah for Israel. The church is the New Testament kingdom of God, so Jesus is the head of His church forever. We go now to verse 34 in Luke chapter 1, and we'll read to verse 37. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? This is King James, not know a man. That means since I haven't had sex with a man, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Now notice how Gabriel is trying to build Mary's faith up, because he's saying, yeah, you think, Mary says, Hey, how can I have the Messiah? How can I have a baby? I'm I'm a virgin. And the angel said, Yeah, well, it looked like it was impossible for Elizabeth. She wasn't a virgin, but she was an old lady. She was past her time to be having a baby, and she got pregnant. For with God, nothing is impossible. If God can make an old woman pregnant, He can make a virgin woman pregnant. So don't worry about it, Mary. Now, some people say that Mary is showing a lack of faith here. How can this be since I do not know a man? Other people say that she was just asking a question. She believed, but she just couldn't figure out how a virgin is going to have a baby. Well, I don't know. I think she probably showed a little bit of doubt in my humble opinion. Uh, just like Zacharias doubted when he was told by Gabriel, Hey, you're going to have a baby. Ah, I don't think so, Gabriel. My wife's too old. That's kind of the typical response. And, and Mary's response was uh, Gabriel, uh, I'm a virgin. How can I have a baby? But notice how God is willing to help, in this case, Gabriel, is willing to help those who have trouble with their faith and the trouble believing. I mean, Jesus constantly said, Oh, you have a little faith. But he was constantly doing everything in the world he could to build up their faith, to talk about it, to point to the scriptures, to work a miracle. In their, in their in their presence. Like when Peter sank after walking on the water and Jesus said, Oh, you have a little faith. But then he picked him up, put his arms around him and picked him up. God's not a mean God. Oh, you have a little faith. Well, what's the matter with you? He's not like that. And Gabriel didn't say, Hey, Mary, what's, where's your faith? Now, Gabriel says, Mary will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, which is the power of the highest, the power of the highest God, the power of the highest referring to God the Father, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, overshadowed. That means to be covered with a cloud, like the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. A great picture, a great metaphor, if you will. The Holy of Holies is just slam full of that bright cloud the glory of God. And just likewise, Mary, you're going to be completely full of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, pregnant by by God. Now, virgin birth is a unique thing in the history of the world. Never happened before, never happened since. Many mythologies have gods fathering children through mortal women, so that they are the parents, these gods are parents of heroes that are born of the mortal women, like in Greek mythology, but this is different. This is a virgin birth, a virgin birth. In mythology, it's the women who have these god babies. They're not virgins. They get impregnated by the god. Here, Mary was a virgin. Now notice that Gabriel said that this Holy One, the Messiah, the Son of God, is to be called the Son of God. It's not that he is to become the Son of God. Jehovah's Witnesses, are you listening? There never was a time when Jesus was not. The divine Jesus was not. There never was. He was Son of God from all eternity, as opposed to the Arian heresy in the 4th century and the Jehovah's Witness heresy in the 20th, 21st century. Now let's go back to this idea of Mary believing Upon hearing the word of God, did she believe or did she doubt when she mentioned the fact she was a virgin? Well, in my opinion, she doubted. doubted, But it's okay to have God to show you his works in order to build your faith. Remember Doubt and Thomas? Jesus told Doubt and Thomas, Blessed are they who did not see my resurrection or my resurrection body. Blessed are they who do not see that and yet believe. And that's yours and you and me. We didn't see Jesus being resurrected, yet we believe. So we're blessed. But Thomas was blessed, too, because Jesus showed Thomas the nail prints in his hands and the hole in his side, which impelled Thomas to get on his knees and say, My Lord, my God. So Jesus didn't leave Thomas out to dry because he doubted. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Well, she believed then, didn't she? She said, Do it, whatever you say. And the angel departed from her. After Gabriel made Mary sure that she understood what was going to happen, he left. Now, here Mary definitely shows her faith. When you're a handmaid of the Lord, that means you're a servant, you're a slave, whatever, whatever God, whatever you say. She's there, ready to serve the Lord. She's not raising doubts about what God is able to do anymore. Now, what has she done? She really is a handmaid of the Lord because she has agreed to receive a pregnancy that will immediately be seen as suspicious. Because remember, what was the penalty for adultery in ancient Israel? The death penalty, and it didn't happen much because people didn't commit adultery back then and were probably too scared to. But Mary's going to be exposing herself as an adulteress. She identified herself with sinners so that the purpose of God would be fulfilled. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will finish this audio. We'll take up in the next audio, Luke chapter one, starting in Luke, starting in verse thirty-nine, the visit of Mary to Elizabeth. Back from she moves from Nazareth back down to Jerusalem is going to compare notes about these miraculous events. Hope you enjoyed this audio. See you next time.